Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. I went to school at Forest Park Senior High, and uh, (laughs) don't cheer yet. She's right across the way, and we locked eyes. Now, this was a big thing back then. You lock eyes with somebody, you didn't let it go. It seemed as though the popular kids knew something. They seemed to have a kind of peace that we didn't possess. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I am Laura Wexler, and I am coming to you solo today from YPR Studios in Baltimore, while Jessica lazes on a rocky cliff in Maine and looks out on the water and thinks deep thoughts. This episode is Cool in School. It's honor of school starting for youngins everywhere. We've got three dispatches from high school in which our heroes and heroines try to be cool and fail, which makes us love them even more. Our first storyteller is Dorian Gray, who's a stand-up comedian and uh, performer. And their story really shows that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Take a listen. I went to school at Forest Park Senior High. And uh, <laughs> don't cheer yet. Um <laughs> At the point where I went to Forest Park Senior High, just to set the tone for the type of place this was when I went, at some point, somebody had spray-painted, Forest Park is a bitch on the side of the building, okay? They misspelled bitch. (laughs) They spelled it B-I-C-T-H, and they left out the A, so it said, Forest Park is bick. (laughs) So that that was my institution of learning. That is where my sci-fi watching, comic book reading, fantasy role-play gaming self went to high school. Okay, now, uh, I was a dorky kid. didn't have a lot of stylish clothes, wore glasses. Um, my antagonists, as such, were broad and varied. But the two, most, the two most dedicated were Newman and Avon. Uh, Newman was a big, muscular sort. He wasn't, like, steroid muscular. He was, like, Bowflex muscular. You know what I mean? And, um... It's true. And, um... That's because he played lacrosse, and I believe he also played football. Uh, his cousin, who was my main antagonist, his name was Avon. He was a little closer to my height, but he was also very stocky and very muscular. He didn't play any sports. He was just muscular for no apparent reason. Just had all this muscle on his arms, just loitering, really. (laughs) Just waiting to lash out at anybody with a future. So, (laughs) all right, that's gonna make me laugh. So, here's how the fight started, okay? I was sick one day, and it was right before we went to summer vacation. It was really hot out, and I didn't have a a lot of clothes were dirty. And so, you know, when a lot of your clothes are dirty, that's when the weird stuff comes out, right? So long story short, it's like 78 degrees. I go to school in this bright red turtleneck. (laughs) So 
So everybody's uh, tripping, and then I, I walk in, and they're like, yeah, man, uh, oh, this dude ain't got a turtleneck on. So here's, here's what happened, real quick. So we're going to English class. We're walking in a single-file line. I show up to class every day because I'm a maverick. And um, <laughs> Avon is standing directly behind me, and uh, he, does, he does this. He goes, walk up, bitch and smacks me on the back of my head. Now, most of his intimidation had been verbal and implied to that point. And I just, I actually went, I was like, I couldn't have imagined that this dude just smacked me in the back of my head. And then he did it again. He's like, walk up, bitch. I felt like he was proposing to me. I felt like he was saying, you know, I've been intimidating you for a long time. And it's time to bring our relationship to the next level. Would you be my bitch? You know. <laughs> and I didn't really want to see any bullies at the time. Now, I turned around, and I guess he saw something was different because today just was the wrong day, and he pushed me. Now, I should tell you at this point, um, usually I would just weather the storm. I'd be like, you know what, he's probably going to mess with me for a while and he's going to focus his attention on somebody else. I'll just, I just usually just weather the storm. But today was, you know, I was sick. I shouldn't have been there. I had a, a fever, a post-nasal drip. I'm coughing. Plus I'm hot because I got this bright red turtleneck on. <laughs> and everywhere I go, people are making fun of me through all my classes. So when he started with that, I was like, oh my God, this is so not going to happen today. So I pushed him back hard, and that made him really mad. <laughs> so um, he grabbed me by my turtleneck, <laughs> and he pushed me and slammed me up against the wall. And now my mind is racing. Like, my gut's like, do I really want to go through with this? And my brain's like, I don't know. It was, it was like the movie Inception, where, like, the seconds feel like minutes. And so... I'm just trying to debate, and finally my fifth said, look, he's waiting on us. I'm going to go ahead and get started. <laughs> and the thing about having your, your hands around somebody's neck is that you're not protecting your head. So I just came over the top, bam, and punched him really hard. And he backed up, so uh, now we're circling. Um, he flicks a punch to my head, and I think to myself, ow. And then... Um, <laughs> And then I throw a punch back, but he gets under my arc, and he goes to slam me, because, man, he was faster than he looked. Um, he goes to slam me with the intention of slamming me down on the ground. The problem was, as he was lifting me up, I just bam, 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 over and over in his face, and we ended up falling together. So we, we get all tangled up like some messed up game of Twister, and... I start to get up first, and that's when, uh, that's when his cousin, Newman, decides it's time to break up the fight. Because, you know, if I get up first, I'm going to kick a field goal. So we, a bunch of students came in and broke us up, and I feel this wham right in my eye. Newman has just hit me in my eye, and now I have a decision to make because, you know, 
usually, like, when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you kill the orcs, and then the lair of the dragons is in the next tunnel. You don't, you're not killing goblins and have the dragons show up, like, right there. So now I have a decision to make. Um, all right. So, fortunately, I didn't have to make that decision because the, uh, the teacher, Miss Aberly, came in. She was awesome. And um, she was like, not wrong way to do it, guys. Um, I'll mention at this point that for the longest time, I blamed myself for this confrontation because one thing that I realized is that I hadn't fought him and I had just been pacifist so long because I wasn't afraid of bodily harm. That never actually entered my mind. I was afraid of the humiliation. I was afraid of getting punked, and I felt like if I had stood up for myself earlier, then that probably wouldn't have, it would, probably wouldn't have gotten as far as it had. So um, we get taken to the principal's office, and we have to write our accounts of what happens, the three of us. Newman and Avon collaborated on theirs. <laughs> so... Um, and it was so ridiculous. He pushed me. I begged him to stop. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. It said stuff like that. I mean, you only got so much vocabulary to work with. But um, the principal at that time, his name is Mr. Cherry. And you know what? God bless him. But I think after a while, all of the kids blend together. So he read our reports, and he called me into his office by myself. And he says to me, um, all right, we all know you pick on him, so why do you do it? Now, my mother had always told me to be respectful toward adults, so uh, what I said was, uh, no, uh, no, sir, I try my best to stay away from them. Inside, I was like, really? <laughs> really? So these two Neanderthals were minding their own business when all of a sudden they were beset upon by a rampaging comic book nerd. <laughs> Is that what happened? All right. So to wrap it up, um, my mother had to come, and we all got a stern talking to. The violence is unacceptable under any circumstances. Um, I didn't find this out till much later, but my teacher, after the incident, had called my mother and told her, I am so glad he hit that boy. I've been waiting for somebody to come along. Anyway, that is my story, and thank you all very much. Dorian Gray performs all over Baltimore. You can find out about their stand-up uh, by Googling them or finding them on Instagram, I believe. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. Our next storyteller is Steve Walker. This story feels like a movie or a short story by John Updike. So please take a listen. So in 1966, way back, uh, one of the things uh, that you did was to find your, your best friend with the biggest, hottest car. You'd all pile in the car and go to Amici's Drive-In up on Lock Raven and Taylor, <laughs> drive around and around and looking for girls who were looking for boys. And uh, 
Never found any, but you, you went every week anyway. So this particular week, uh, we had called Craig Sharp because he had a pretty neat car. Craig shows up in a 1962 Nash Rambler. <laughs> His car was in the shop, and that was the loaner we got. <laughs> so we're driving around there, and um, after about five minutes, we realized there was no girls looking at us. So Craig says, you know, if I rev it up really high in neutral and throw it down into low, I can lay rubber. So, okay, all right, let's try it, let's try it. Why we thought this would make things better, I don't know, but. <laughs> so Craig revs it up real high, throws it into, into low, and bang, we broke the drive shaft off. <laughs> the drive shaft's going around underneath the car, throwing out a pile of sparks, and everybody in the place is looking, saying, it's on fire, it's on fire. So we left Craig, and three of us ditched him and just ran inside. It was his car. He had to deal with it. So we go in and sit down, and there she was. She's right across the way, and we locked eyes. Now, this was a big thing back then. You lock eyes with somebody, you didn't let it go. <laughs> and there she was. So we're all sitting there talking, and I'm staring at her, and we keep talking, and she's staring at me, and we're not, you know, it's right on there. Waitress comes. I'll have a chocolate milkshake, large. We wait, still staring. About 10 minutes later, chocolate milkshake comes. No top, straw in it. Take the milkshake. Still got the eyes going. I am so cool at this point. I know I've got this girl. What I'm going to do with her, I don't know, because we don't have a car. <laughs> but in the moment, we're there. So I pick up the milkshake, put the straw in my mouth, and pour the milkshake in my lap. <laughs> Needless to say, she was long gone by the time we looked up. <laughs> And I cleaned the thing off, but then the tow truck came, and she was gone, so uh, we went home. <laughs> and our final cool in school story today is told by Betsy Boyd, who is a writer and writing teacher. And this story really reveals the survival of the fittest nature of high school then and now. Maybe it's a little better now. I think it's a little better now, but um, take a listen. I'm going to take you to 1988 in Port Aransas, Texas. Imagine an auditorium. Fog machines are spewing dry ice. I am surrounded by sobbing 15-year-old girls. I myself am a 15-year-old girl, but I'm not sobbing. I'm making eye contact with a man who looks a lot like John Bon Jovi with a beard. I need to cut back a couple months to explain that I attend a huge public high school in San Antonio, Texas, Douglas MacArthur. Go Mac. 
a 2,000 plus person high school where the successful girls are near pro-level cheerleaders with meatloaf-sized quadriceps, large boobs, everything else tiny. And the boys are incredibly confident, like politicians at age 14, 15, 16. On the football fields, they wear murderous expressions. But when you see them in the hall, they're so friendly. You just, you don't know who you can trust. <laughs> so I'm trying to find my place in the social structure of the school, as all adolescents must do. And I'm looking through the lens of my older sister's high school experience. She, too, attended MacArthur in the 70s. We have a bit of an age gap. She was everything you're supposed to be. She was on homecoming court. She got best dressed. When she auditioned for cheerleader, she severely injured her coccyx. <laughs> to this day, when she lifts her small children, sometimes she winces in coccyx pain. <laughs> but there is a silent understanding that it was worth it because she made cheerleader people. And she determined her fate. So I'm trying to figure out my place. I'm wondering what's possible for me. I have a few things going against me and two things going for me. Going against me is the fact that I joined Pep Squad and I wore this uniform, which I'm not sure what the sleeves were for, but they seem like luggage compartments today. Um, joined Pep Squad, but I found it so depressing because you just sit there and clap. You don't even get to stand up, although you have to wear bloomers, which I, I just, I don't have the heart to show you. Um, I dropped out and I started running track. I had frizzy hair. Those things were going against me. Two things going for me. I had a great friend, Kelly Walton. She was on dance team, which is very acceptable in Texas. Uh, but she was smart and Catholic and poor, not good. Um, I, another thing going for me, I had a great wardrobe because my brother and sister were already out of the house. My parents spent a lot of money on my clothing, so I had huge floral Laura Ashley dresses that could house a family of five. And um, I had guest jeans in every color, acid wash, black, light blue, dark blue with ankle zippers. Uh, I had t-shirts that were splatter painted by machine at the mall one shoulder, and I would loan my clothes out to girls, popular girls. So those things were going for me, but I was still searching for my place, and Kelly and I were kind of a team. It seemed as though the popular kids knew something. They seemed to have a kind of peace that we didn't possess. Kelly suggested that we begin attending Trinity Baptist Church on Sunday afternoons in the summer after freshman year. Trinity Baptist Church was sort of the precursor to the mega church. It was televised in San Antonio. All the popular kids from every public school in our city went to this youth group. And we wore high heels, we mingled, we met boys, and we bonded with two cheerleaders from our high school, Allison and Paige. They thought Kelly was a doll, and they loved my clothing. And I was so happy to let them borrow anything. Allison and Paige invited us to attend Baptist Coast Camp, which was a five-day retreat where you go to Port Aransas, Texas, you learn about Christ and drink at night. <laughs> Kelly couldn't afford to go, but I took a leap of faith and I went on the mission. I stayed... Um, in a beautiful resort hotel with Allison and Paige, who I believe were cousins, it's kind of fuzzy, 
But through no malice of their own, they completely forgot I was there. You know, they were really close. They didn't really know me. They borrowed my clothing, which is why I came. Um, but they forgot to tell me when it was mealtime. We didn't go to prayer meetings together. So I was kind of depressed that week. The highlight was really having insomnia and sitting up in the common room with our dorm mother, Dixie, who was about 60 and balding. She wore these low-cut negligees and read her romance novels while I read Jane Eyre on the sofa all night. Throughout the week, we went to these prayer meetings, and the gist of every meeting was that you should rededicate yourself to Christ, give over your will to Christ. And I tried to go with it. It seemed like something, if I could do that, maybe I could really be popular. But um, there, there was something that remind, it reminded me of like an alien movie where the alien goes through your brain and invades your soul and you have no identity, or like getting in, back into a relationship that wasn't working where you have zero status. Either way, <laughs> it didn't appeal. So I get through the week, I'm a little down, I'm tired from insomnia, but we, the last night of the camp, there is to be this party, and I'm thinking, God, this is, this is special, this is going to be something I can really enjoy. So I wore my special billabong skort. Yeah. <laughs> it was mattress plaid, and I get into the huge auditorium, and I see a boy that I know, he's a family friend, Brian Clardy. He's fat and pimply and loves to give me massages that I sort of like and don't like. And now he's a doctor, which is how life works. But he uh, invites me to sit beside him, and I do. And, you know, I'm just trying to be a good sport about it all, waiting for the festivities to start. There are kids everywhere. People are really excited, hundreds of kids. And... I see through my peripheral vision, Allison and Paige walk by. They've got my Laura Ashley sundresses on, and they look like a circus caravan going past. And Allison sees me, and she says, gosh, I love your billabong skort. She's noticed it in my closet, and she invites me to come sit on the front row of the event with them. So I ditch Brian. I don't even say goodbye. I go up there. I don't hear Allison when she says that this is the row for people who are rededicating their lives to Christ <laughs> by microphone. So I'm sitting on the front row. It's Allison, me, and Paige, first ones to give our testimony. The lights go down. The dry ice or fog is everywhere. <laughs> and a man emerges on stage, the Bon Jovi character. He's very handsome. He's wearing a white robe. Allison starts screaming, and she begins crying. She looks kind of purple, not as pretty as she typically does. And Christ comes over to her. And he says, do you want to give up your life for me? And she takes the microphone. She's having trouble talking, but she kind of says, I give you my will. I give you my life. And in that moment, I'm thinking, golly, this girl has everything anybody could want. She's, you know, she's popular. She's already had sex with like two people. And um, what does she need a will for? But I don't, I don't want to give up my will. <laughs> and I roll my eyes and I smirk 
and Christ sees me. <laughs> because I'm the next in line. As I smirk, though, do you know what Christ does? He winks at me. <laughs> so it's in that moment that I, I tell myself, you know, I don't need Coast Camp. And maybe I don't need to loan my clothes out unless I get really, really desperate. And that, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> So that is our Cool in School episode for today. Wishing all of you much coolness in school, both literally, like it's not blazing hot as it has been, and also that you can metaphorically be cool as well. But just remember, if you're not cool in school, that means you're going to be cool later on. I know because it was true for me and everyone I like these days and think is cool. Uh, before we close, I want to let you know about an upcoming show we have on Thursday, September 14th at the lovely Manor Mill um, north of Baltimore. And it's called The One That Got Away, Stories of Lost Loves, Fish, and Other Missed Opportunities. So that's Thursday, September 14th, 2023 at Manor Mill. You can go to our website, stoopstorytelling.com, to buy tickets and also submit stories for that show. While you're there, you'll see all of our shows for the fall season, and you can submit stories for them as well. I want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing the podcast, and we will be back soon with more stories from the students.